Welcome to the Get Social Dublin Invest in Your Community podcast series. I'm Michelle Acharity and in this series we'll be telling the stories of a number of social entrepreneurs in Dublin and the people they support. Why they started, what gets them up in the morning, what their biggest challenges are and why they need your support. Social enterprises are businesses that use their profits to improve the lives of people and create positive change in the community. Doing business with a social enterprise means you're making a real difference. To show your support for this podcast series, share your purchase or interaction with a social enterprise in Dublin on social media, along with the hashtag GetSocialDublin. This project was approved by the government with support from the Dormant Accounts Fund. In our first podcast, we're discussing the national shift towards a circular economy and how it's playing a crucial role in achieving Ireland's climate objectives as we move away from the conventional make-take-dispose model towards a more regenerative, restorative and sustainable business model and how social enterprises are contributing in a number of ways. This morning, I would like to welcome Catherine Cleary and Ash Conrad-Jones from Pocket Forests, who work with communities, schools and residents who use all natural materials to rejuvenate tired soil on sites up to 100 square metres, building lasting connections to the magic of a forest. I'd also like to welcome Douglas McGowan from Cherry Orchard Community Garden and appreciate their time this morning. Douglas, if you would like to introduce yourself, please. My name is Douglas. I work uh, with Ballyfermot Chapels of Partnership and we help oversee the Cherry Orchard Community Garden. It's a social enterprise that we are growing in the area of Cherry Orchard to try and change some of the perceptions of Cherry Orchard and try and give a, a community asset to Cherry Orchard where things like obviously we're, we're, we're acting as a social enterprise, so we are growing and selling produce, but we're also offering training opportunities, volunteering opportunities and a, a site where people can come and relax and hopefully the good weather over summer. Thank you. Catherine, if you could please introduce Pocket Forests to our listeners this morning. Yep, thanks. My name is Catherine Cleary and I'm a co-founder with Ash Conrad-Jones of Pocket Forests. So we work to reconnect people in nature-deprived communities with the natural world by regenerating soil and planting native trees and shrubs in small, dense forests. Thank you. I'd also like this morning to be able to discuss the main challenges uh, vis-a-vis being able to achieve your social mission whilst you're trying to juggle the revenue and all the challenges you face as regards recruitment and profit. If you could tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, I'll go first. I think some of the, the, the challenges are obviously financing. I think cash flow is a, is a big challenge. I think the garden itself would struggle without the support of both Ballyfermont Chapels as partnership and the Making Cherry Orchard Better group in terms of having that funding available to us that, that covers things like staffing costs as we grow and develop more and more produce. I think in, in future, uh, staffing will still be the biggest thing that we will still have to seek funding for. But even this year now, after this is into our third year of a full operation, everything else is pretty much self-sustainable in terms of income and outgoings, uh, aside from the overhead of a staffing position. So I think that's one of the, the key difficulties. But we've also found it's been difficult to get some of that positivity off the ground in terms of a community not quite understanding who we are and what we do but the more that we're there and the more that we give our message out the more that people are beginning to understand and seek us out so the strengths and weaknesses to, to, to the model that we're using and Douglas if you could tell me when people get in touch how have they heard about you how do you usually get people saying and is it that they want to buy is it that they want to volunteer is it just that they want to know more about your social enterprise 
we've used a lot of the existing tools that are out there. So, for example, um, social media is quite good for marketing and promoting the garden and, and creating that space of general well-being. And it is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the entire piece around that. We're looking even now at TikTok videos and things like that just to, to promote the garden. Volunteering, we still we use the existing volunteering structures, so Volunteering Ireland, Volunteering Dublin, in terms of advertising and recruiting and trying to bring in volunteers. We have had to refine that. Before we became a full-time enterprise, we could take volunteers at any time throughout the year, but we've now had to schedule that into our production line to make sure that you know this week's been the bedding plants that we don't put our volunteer recruitment in the same week as the bedding plants for example so we have to start being more clever about how we use volunteers and stuff like that through Ballyfermot Chapels of Partnership we're using a lot of TUS uh, participants again local people trying to um, get work experience or, or, or get out the house and, and develop some of the, the skills they need to go back into full-time employment so we're, we're, we provide that as well so there's some heavy lifting uh, you know soil across from one part of the garden to the other all that kind of stuff but the two skies that we've got at the moment, they're really good, they're really committed, and that's been quite a benefit over the last couple of years as well. So we use what um, resources are available to us to both promote the garden and get the, the people and materials that we need to get the garden to function. And in the feedback you'd get from two participants having volunteered, what would they feel are the benefits of that? Um, I think one of the few upsides of, of the, the, the pandemic situation is we've had the same group now for almost two and a bit years and they have really bought into everything that we're trying to do. They see what, they're, what we're asking them to do. They're not just coming along to move a wheelbarrow from one end of a site to another. They are buying into that. They're volunteering their time sometimes on Saturday mornings. You know, gardens exist at weekends outside nine to five, so we still need to do the watering. We still need to get bits and pieces tidied up. So their, their two contracts get them doing stuff nine, uh, you know, Monday to Friday but some some do come in on a Saturday to, on a rota to help volunteer and water and things like that so they really bought into it um, we once did a, a course on uh, cooking some of the produce that we have in the garden so we, we taught them all how to make kale crisps which went down a storm <laughs> uh, surprisingly so you know they're, they're buying into the various different things we do and I think deep down I thought they may be lack of the skills of their experience to really fully articulate it they are proud of the name that's Cherry Orchard Community Garden that's going into cafes it's going into Super Value they are buying into that that they're helping that out Thank you and Catherine and Ash what obstacles do you think you faced in establishing social enterprise in Ireland and also how would you find experience from volunteers Um several challenges um, we financially uh, all our projects are all our funding is project based so um, if we don't have a project we're not getting any money <laughs> um, so and also and then there's the difficulty of um, how much work do you put in to try and get a project and then you have to apply for the funding so it's a constant juggle between how much um, work you can put in pre pre-funding in order to get the funding um, in order to keep the enterprise going um, and our other challenge is, is as far as governance and definition of a, a social enterprise, it's it's not clear cut in Ireland um, and everyone seems very confused about it, um, in, including the uh, the core people who tell you what to do. <laughs> um, so they're, they're, our, they're, our, they're, they're our challenges uh, on that. Catherine's probably yeah. And in terms of um, volunteers, I suppose we, uh, because of the pandemic, we weren't able to really muster a lot of volunteers, but we work with large communities and schools sometimes. So, you know, the kids in, in the classes are those volunteers and what really um, 
what we love about this work is how much um, kids who maybe don't have access to soil or don't have access to gardens or growing space really enjoy that work and get so much from it and feel, ex as um, Douglas was saying, that pride in making something and that pride in doing something real. It's real work as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's work that uh, one... Uh, one girl in one of the schools who worked at, she said it was going to be her legacy at the school. And that's, you know, that's exactly what we want people to feel about this work, that it goes deep and, and it makes you feel like you belong. And it's it's regenerating the natural world, which is ultimately our home. So, you know, there's lots, there's lots. So we'd love to, we love to welcome volunteers. But again, that's another aspect that needs uh, work. So I think I think we're all saying the same thing. Mm. You know, the funding is needed to pay the salary to have a volunteer coordinator if you want to have volunteers working with you. Um, and, our, and that's the bottom line. Our model is slightly different in that for each project that we do, we're very, we, so much of our work, our work is about getting that community in which where we plant to invest in the forest. So the volunteers that we use, it's, it's, it's primarily essential it's essential to our model that the community that we're with a volunteer on the project so that they feel investment in, in it and are engaged and yeah. so they're embedded in it in yeah the actual so results, rather than seeking volunteers outside mm. of it it's it's more again project-based where we get our volunteer so it's locals oh. working within their own community as opposed to bringing somebody in from somewhere else and helicoptering them into an area. Exactly. That yeah. It's actually the locals that will engage and whatever. Yeah, because they, they became doing. what we call the forest keepers then. Yeah. And do you find afterwards that means is it pride in the community yes. and that people will kind of be the guardians of that space? Yes, exactly. Yes. And that space is much more loved. And, you know, we're big believers that if a space is loved, if plants are loved, they thrive. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of work to be had in having companies send people on a bus to come and plant trees and then they go away and they never see those trees again. And there's something a little bit hollow about that. I think if we're really going to engage with the problems that we're facing, I think we really do have to start seeing these spaces as our home and we start to create them near our home. Um, part of the problem we have in the city is we don't have enough native trees being planted. We still have a policy where native trees are seen as not really the thing that we plant in our parks. And that's crazy. That is any biodiversity expert, any scientist will tell you those trees need to be um, in our city. They need to be in our soil. There are myriad lives that d depend on those plants. And if we're not putting them in, then there's a big problem there. And do you think I was going to ask a question, but that's another interesting point that you've brought up. So I was going to say after the pandemic, we know that it's been unprecedented levels already on top of what was before the pandemic in childhood and youth anxiety and mental health challenges. And so I was trying to see how the three of you would feel the work that you're doing is helping alleviate this. And even for our adults that once they get out, the people are saying there's such a disconnection from nature. But secondly, what you've brought up is in people are often saying to us within the partnership models that they feel very disconnected from a fear of how to control. They're seeing everything in the media and they nearly feel like it's paralysis because they don't know how to. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to act as a conduit to say, look, if you could get in touch too, like locally, if it's pocket forests or if it's farm or if it's, you know, what, what else is happening that people can go and somehow if they don't have access to soil or land or to spend some time, how, what do you feel from that? As in, are you feeling the impact when you work in a community? Do you feel they're getting the message? Do they feel that they've Absolutely. got more control? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen people change within 
10, 15 minutes um, from going, oh, this is not, this is gross, <laughs> to, oh, look, I found this, I found this, look what I found in the soil. Um, like it's, uh, I think part of it is that we are so in love with this project and so enthusiastic that the people we're around have no choice to be enthusiastic as well. Um, but there's, we, really good sci- there's really good yeah. science that shows that interacting yeah. with the natural world, even just looking at a plant in a room, yeah. will lift your mood. There's an amazing study that showed hospital patients where over 10 years, the patients whose room had a view of trees recovered much faster and needed less pain medication than the patients who didn't have that view. And that's that's not anything that anybody realized was happening. It was just the records showed this astonishing fact. So if we cut ourselves off from nature, there's a cost. And I think that cost is in that awful anxiety and mental health difficulties, especially among young people. Um, our bodies know that nature is our home and we feel better in there, even if we don't believe it, even if we think this is all hippie crap, it you know, mm. it works. Mm. Um, and that's what we see happening with people who haven't had the access to this. And again, that's why we love to connect people to those spaces. So it's not just a one-off common plant. It's actually a common plant. And then also look at that tree and see it lose its leaves in the autumn and then see it come back at this time of the year, you know, this amazing burst of new life coming into the soil and the trees. Um, and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's an incredible mental health microdose of wellness every day in your mm-hmm. life. If you can look at a tree that mm-hmm. you've planted and you can see what what um, state it's in, and you know there's huge benefits to that. Wealthier mm-hmm. communities have massive uh, resources in green space. The city, the community we work don't, and they need them. And this model allows them to create them themselves, which is magic. Mm-hmm. And to bring back then. Seems you've brought up corporates and I was going to ask, so is there a part to play, do you think, in all of your work? So if corporates rather than, like you say, a bus coming up and people just coming and doing that as a team building and then heading off, what would you like? What could the corporate sector do for you? Oh, we'll take that money as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. We've we've used um, the corporate days, the volunteering days, uh, usually to help build um, infrastructure in the garden so again going back to the two guys they, they will you know get the cement ready and stuff like that but then we'll get a corporate day to help lay a path to make our, our allotments disability accessible and things like that so we do have um that engagement um it's interesting when we go through as a partnership some of the quality audits that you have to do you get asked about things like what's your corporate social responsibility policy so actually you know we received corporate social responsibility we don't give it because that's the role of the garden stuff like that to build those engagements Going back to what you were talking about a second ago in terms of young people, we've got a project coming up now with children from St. Alton's Primary School. Uh, So they're going to come in and they're going to watch and help put uh, pumpkin seeds into little pots and then we'll we'll keep the the pots going and then we'll transfer them to the land and then they'll come back, see the the, the little pumpkins in the ground and then over summer we'll look after it because they're all away and stuff like that. But they'll come back in September and then into October, they'll see them, help us water them. And obviously towards Halloween, they'll have uh, pumpkins, their own pumpkin to carve. So uh, we're trying to engage communities in, in that way it's not just a, the a social enterprise isn't just about that commercial activity it's a vital part of it who we are and what we do is a commercial nature but what we try to do and that's that social element that that social impact is with social enterprises so much broader so we're devoting some of the, the time that's paid uh, to, to, to deliver the social enterprise into the social impact uh, so our garden managers doing talks in the school and things like that so it, it's a broader piece trying to pull that community in as you say to help that community response in terms of um, COVID and things like that. And in saying that, so you, you've highlighted about the, the challenges from a commercial side. 
how do you, you find it in competing against purely commercial entities? Some may have social missions, but they're not a social enterprise. How, how do you deal with that? That probably hasn't really cropped up for us, but even having, even being bookmarked as a, as a social enterprise thing sometimes compete you in a different place in the store. So, for example, with Super Value, uh, we got a lot of support from Super Value Academy, so, uh, Academy, so I'm not you know having a go at them. But the store manager took a look to all oh, your uh, the Academy people. You go in the Academy Bay. We're selling mixed salad leaves. The Academy Bay is after the salad section, so people have already chosen their salads after before they get to us. But a conversation with Super Value Academy, the store manager, we got put into the normal salad base and our sales shot up. So again, being treated as different is actually sometimes the, the challenge, even though we want to see ourselves as different. Mm-hmm. We have to put we have to base ourselves on the quality of the product, the, the quality of the message as well. But if we're selling rubbish and we're doing rubbish, then we should deserve to be treated as rubbish, frankly. Mm-hmm. Just because we're a social enterprise doesn't mean what we do should be applauded. We've got you know if we're going to do it as a social enterprise, it needs to be a, a proper product with a proper value, with a proper mm-hmm. Um, unique selling point uh, for people but uh, in terms of the quality of the actual product coming out of the ground that's the hardest piece that the guard manager needs to make sure is right and do you think for example so if somebody was coming along and buying those salad leaves or if somebody comes along in the community do you think they understand what your social mission is do you think is that hard to articulate while you're trying to do something else but to be constantly thinking well we have to highlight our benefits or social mission, whereas in other commercial entities it might be you're buying or you're not buying, you know, or it's based on a price point. To, to an extent, yes, but that's what good labeling is all about. And again, the support that we get as a social enterprise to how to get our messages across is quite important. Um, so the message on the back, the pictures, the growing, the the, the, the mention of the volunteers and the low food miles, all that kind of stuff is mentioned. Um, so we, as I say, when we moved to a different part of the store, that message was getting through in some way because we were selling a lot more. Um, so I think when people pick up the, the the product and have a look at it and read about it, and I think also our our um, the, the the quality testing that we got. In terms of the length of the salad will be good it's actually a lot longer than some of the other products on the shelf so that quality product as well as the message is selling well so that that combination needs to exist if it was just look it was grown locally and it's a wilting leaf of death growing there it wouldn't sell but it's a quality <laughs> product that has a long shelf life because it was grown two miles away five kilometers away so it, it really works for the people buying it as well because they're seeing that they're going to get something that's going to last longer great and can you tell me overall, are there other, if you were, this is an opportunity for listeners to be able to understand how they can support a social enterprise. So on top of what has happened in the last two years, and we understand it's been extremely difficult and challenging for a lot of social enterprises, for the rest of 2022 or going forward, what would be, if you had a wish list, what would you be looking for? What can help you in the sector? What can help social enterprises like yourself? Um, I suppose... Looking out for social enterprises, people don't know what social enterprise is or have a vague idea that they want to address things like food miles, have sh- products that are lasting long on the shelves, products that have a, a story behind them that it isn't just about maximizing profit. Then looking out for that and understanding that, I appreciate we're, we live in challenging times. But, you know, as I said, with the salad leaves there, um, you know, a good quality product can last 
a lot longer so therefore you're not throwing it out so you're reducing things like food waste or you know wasteful packaging and stuff like that because you know sometimes a commercial product the, the the product might be a part an overall experience of opening the box and unboxing and then the peel of the plastic and all that kind of stuff whereas actually what you really want is the plastic the, the actual good uh, that you're buying so it's being aware of what you're buying and why you chose choosing that one and so just making that choice rather than reaching for the first thing on the shelf or the first service provider that you see you know if you want to you know if a community group or, or community organization or school or whatever needed to, to readdress some of the land you know think about it differently rather than just putting a you know astroturf down or a commercial bit of grass what more can we do is, is looking into and understanding that there are far more options out there than just what we might be used to on a day-to-day -day basis okay and Catherine Nash how would you feel I suppose clarity on the, the status of a social enterprise, so not just that people who are buying products from them understand what they are, but actually the people who are regulating them understand what they are and decide what the regulations are. I think that needs to be, that needs to happen. And that's work that has to be done, you know, within government departments to decide this is what you are and this is the level of governance that we need. We don't necessarily, at the moment, social enterprises need the level of governance that you would have if you were a charity. Um for obvious reasons, because, you know, we need to be very careful about charities now they're regulated. And yet a social enterprise is not a charity, it's a business. I think um, there's a lot of storytelling needed to, to explain to people what it is that you're doing and why you're doing things differently. I mean, I'm very conscious that what Ash and I are doing is very different to how people have gardened or landscaped city places before. And we do a lot of explaining and, and a lot of explaining uh, talks about soil, which people tend not to think about ever. Um, but once you start to explain that to people, I think they get it. I think they get the, they, they certainly are very interested. We get great questions from people. Um, you know, we get people who say at the end of what we call our soil preparation stage, oh, you know, we've created an ecosystem and that's exactly what we've done. And that's, that can be a very complicated idea, but actually it can be very simple as well. Mm -hmm. um, what else do we I need? Th I think like uh, going back to a corporate thing, um, and how corporates could possibly support social enterprises, you know, maybe it might be a thing rather than um, almost like a, a sports, you know, like lead will sponsor women's GAA. Um, like it could be a, a, a almost a sponsorship thing. Like we were partnering up with these social enterprises because they achieve this. Mm, like a champion. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously a... a and a challenge for us is also access to land. So any corporates that have any bits of land that they want planted up, please be in contact with us. <laughs> but I think overall, what people I think are beginning to understand is that these companies who tell you how wonderful they are and how they much they love the planet and how much they love you, actually they're working entirely for their shareholders. And I think the social enterprise model is the business model of the future for what, what you are rewarded for is the good that you do and not the shareholder gain that you're getting. Yeah. Um, so while we're delighted to work with some corporates, there are certain corporates that, you know, we don't necessarily want to give our brand to because while they are giving you all these positive messages about their environmentalism, they are quietly burning the planet. So, you know, that's where the social enterprise model is so interesting and so, um, hopeful and optimistic if if actually large corporates can begin to work like social enterprises and some of mm. them are and some of them are assessing their impacts and making sure that at every point in their value chain they're changing what they do in order to have to do more good than harm um so that's where it gets it gets big thinking and and you know start small and i guess that's the core difference to look at 
like regular business and what's the difference between regular business or corporations and social enterprises is that um, we start with the good that we're doing and then work out how we're going to make money from it. (laughs) And corporates are making money and then scrambling to work out, oh, how can we... Gloss on a bit of good here. Yeah. 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 So that, I mean, that's the basic... I mean, would you agree, Douglas? <laughs> yeah, no, I think absolutely that, you know, the, the greenwashing, as it might be called, in terms of some of the activities that they do, or that social washing, whereas, you know, on one hand, you might have, a, I don't know, a, a shop that wants to have a nice bit of pocket forest at the front of it, but uses a supply chain that's basically slave labour in Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you have to <laughs> yeah. look at that as well. I think the, the, the governance and the rules and regulation part that you raise is very important as well. Um, we do have problems in terms of if regulators or government policy is mixed or misunderstood mm. that then makes the message quite difficult as I was talking earlier about people's choices and things like that but if they don't know or they're not getting told through other channels and other areas in their lives about things like social enterprises and what it means and what social impact is then it becomes really difficult because you're not you're fighting not just against ignorance but confusion and that's mm. you can change ignorance quite quickly by educating yeah. people changing confusion means you've got to re-educate a whole ton of people who mm-hmm. are then doing their own pieces of education which is the problem that you might come out of government um, in Scotland which is where I'm from if you can't tell from the accent um, there are community interest companies CICs and that is a direct consequence of the conversation of having well people are confused about what a social enterprise is what's the governance model how do we set ourselves up a community interest company is certainly a way forward gives the benefits of company law company structure company um governance models but the community interest part is included within the, the memorandum the constitution as you were talking about earlier so it becomes an easier way of saying this is the type of company we are so just as you know a charity number conveys a certain um cache of, of credibility on, on an organization's activity a cic number would eventually develop the same thing as well so just how the government supports this development, I think, is quite important. Thank you. Um, another question I'd like to ask is that often within the community, from you've, you've highlighted the work that you've done with, within schools and within local communities, but we would get a lot of requests from schools when that's primary, secondary. We get a lot from third level education and then we get a lot of young people in companies who are saying that they're not happy with this. They're not willing to accept the status quo and with the pandemic and everything else going on at the moment that they really want to have different choices. What would you say to them that they can do to make change? Because we often get people asking for, is there an opportunity to do a an internship or some kind of it? Where they're really interested in what social enterprises are and they're feeling that there isn't enough jobs, employment in the future in social enterprises and they're looking for companies that they could work for. But if you were to say, oh, we'd, we'd have a lot of people that might come in and say, look, I want to set up my own social enterprise. And we'll say, well, there's very similar already perhaps you're better off going and looking at how you could work with a social Mm -hmm. enterprise and find other ways rather than a number of competing social enterprises. Again, you come to the same core problem. Like we'd love, we would love to create green jobs, but there's just not the finance there. Um, And there's no way of us securing, we we don't know how, how we're going to fund next year, for example. Like we're going for this year, but next year, who knows? Um, And if there was the finance... Ash, so do you think, we do you feel like we could create green we jobs? Could absolutely. Create, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we worked with the Liberties Training Centre on a project recently, um, which was brilliant because we could see that young girls were being trained in using woodworking tools, installing uh, really 
brilliant uh, barrier on a, on a planting area. And, you know, it was wonderful. That's the nice thing about social enterprises is that we do collaborate with each other and we mm -hmm. find out who's doing what in what particular area and work together if we can. Um, there are so many jobs. Uh, we are we are wasting so many opportunities in, in mm -hmm. this city uh, to re-engineer a circular economy approach to how we're dealing with waste, how we're dealing with food waste, how we're, you know, we're bringing in peat to plant plants in when we're sending food waste to landfill. That's just crazy. And I think future generations, if we're lucky enough to have future generations, we'll look back on this time and and wonder at the waste that we created. Mm -hmm. There are enormous job potential, um, but we really need people to stop doing business as usual. And at the moment, we get a lot of people doing business as usual. That's that's all to sound very negative. At the same time, we've had a wonderful reaction to what we do. Yeah. And we don't need to go looking for work at the moment. We have people contacting us every day about projects that they want to get involved in or ideas that they have for spaces. So, you know, on the one hand, you can get sort of down about the situation. But I think by doing something, starting at that point, which I think every social enterprise does, is I want to fix this problem, starting with I want to fix this problem as opposed to I want to make this money. <laughs> and then <laughs> I want to fix this problem. How can I make enough money to pay myself to fix this problem? That's the starting point. Um, and I think the more you can do that and the more you can get support for doing that, um, that's how we're going to get that there are so many problems we have to fix and there are so much employment opportunity, local employment opportunity, good jobs, good satisfying jobs in this area. That's where the optimism, I think, is. So you would feel as founders if you could secure your own salaries and not, you know, it's not scrambling around and looking at if yeah. you had the financial security to be able to properly and strategically plan ahead yeah. and then look for recruitment. That yeah. So your problem isn't finding clients at the moment or no. finding work. It's no, we'll always find it's, something. It's scaling yeah. and having because you need both of you to secure a salary in order yeah. that you can focus on that yeah. and give it we'll, time that it Yeah, needs. we'll find things, but we won't necessarily have the money to do it. But we will, because uh, we're doing this whether <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> I mean, regardless. it's um, regardless. Yeah. But um, you can't so. scale that kind of self-sacrifice. So we do, we yeah. are conscious that yeah. we need we to want to make fund it this as a salary so yeah. that if one or other of us can't do this, somebody else can do and, it. And I mean, currently we're working this as part-time. We've both got other jobs. Um, um, otherwise, we just wouldn't be able to do it. So, Okay. And Douglas, what do you think? Oh, I think the, the, the need for more people working in the sector will then generate more knowledge about the sector, which then creates more demand within the sector, which then results in more people working in it because it, 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 the sector itself needs to scale up. I think, you know, we, we in the garden, we are lucky that we were able to secure funding for a full-time post, and that has worked well for us in terms of that scaling from glorious, um, committed amateur setup to a commercial activity and a commercial, small commercial scale. So we were lucky when we got that because making Cherry Oxford Better Fund was able to, 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 to provide us with some supports. On the on back of that, so then we were talking about business as usual. For us, it's different than obviously you guys, but for us, it's like we're targeting other social enterprises. So like our, our salads and stuff go to cafes that are doing other like social activities um this event you know we give donations and stuff that's to build up relationships to things like the, the food banks and things like that but other cafes like dublin's or dublin city co-op and small changes we were engaging with the other social enterprises or organizations that have that social impact so it's good that they're 
with their success already and the work that they're being able to do to help lift us. Um, so even think, sitting here, there's possibly work we could do together in terms of the garden and stuff like that because a lot of our work is focused on the social enterprise at the moment, but if we could do a small project to, with some volunteers for the garden side of it, the actual mm. community garden where people could sit and relax, there might be work there. But that's something to think about as well is how do we encourage um, organisations who have an activity that they need to undertake and they might have got a grant for it but actually they should be rather than phoning up the nearest commercial supplier for something they should be phoning up another social enterprise mm-hmm. we've done that in the office and in, in the organization like you now we all go to meetings and we all like sandwiches at meetings but our sandwiches now come from local social enterprises to make sure that we're keeping that money within the sector and i think mm-hmm. that's a quite important thing as well because mm-hmm. then we get to things like training opportunities volunteering opportunities sharing volunteers ce schemes where we can tap into a different CE scheme in the area to bring in some labour if we need to on a particular project because we've got that working relationship. So it's seeing, it's trying to develop a map of the area and the environment that you're in to say, right, well, that's happening there, that's happening there, they can do that, we can support them, they can support us. Uh, and then growing, because you know, if you go back in history and capitalism, that's how that grew. You know, local people selling each other and then more mm-hmm. things happening and more people employed to, to do the bit pieces that then other people were growing in it and it kind of grew that way. Not saying the exploitative method is the ideal way forward, but you know that's um, <laughs> that's how that, that that connection. It's those connections we shouldn't be working in isolation. I think sometimes in the sector, because we think we are doing something good, it should work because it's a good thing. Mm. Other than actually, I mean, you were talking earlier about the, the social connections and and, and the, the, the the seeing our environment and the impact that has on people with positivity and stuff. That's the example. As, as one human being, as a sector, we need to do the same thing: build those connections together, help lift each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would like to thank you for your time. You've left all our listeners with a lot of food for thought. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we, with the Get Social Dublin campaign, will be sharing all of your links so that if anyone would like to reach out and has a reaction, has questions, has comments, or in any way they can support, they'll be getting in touch with you. Douglas, Ash and Catherine, I'd like to thank you very much for all your wisdom. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening to Get Social Dublin, Invest in Your Community. If you'd like to listen back to any of our episodes, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm